0: Please take your Bibles, uh, the Word of God, and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We are today in Revelation chapter 4, and we will cover all 11 verses of chapter 4 as we move forward into the beginning of the second vision that John sees um, as he is called to write down what has taken place, what is taking place, and what will soon take place. And so hear the Word of the Lord as we read it from Revelation chapter 4. After these things I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what may, must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the thrones came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They they lay or they cast their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory And honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and they have their being. Let us pray. Sovereign God enthroned above the heavens. This chapter, this portion of your word confronts us with the reality that you are sovereign over all. And the truth that you are the center of the universe. Not us. Help us today to find comfort in your holiness, in your infinite infinite power, and in your glory, and lead us to repent of trying to control our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, Amen. So we are studying the book of Revelation with the understanding that it is a series of seven visions that God reveals to John through Jesus, so that John can bring comfort and edification to the church. The first vision, which came to an abrupt end at at the close of chapter 3, dealt with some direct communication with those seven churches in Asia Minor and with us as well as the Spirit has preserved this inspired word for us today. The the last vision that we will look at in in chapters uh, 21 and 22 deal with the glories of the new heavens and the new earth. Those glories that that will be ushered in when Christ returns and we see those promises fulfilled. No more pain, no more death. God wiping away the tears of his people. And the middle five visions, visions focus on the time between Jesus' ascension at the end of his earthly ministry and his return. When he will usher in those promises of the new heaven and the new earth. And as God reveals the history of the earth between the ascension and the return, he is going to reveal it in a harsh reality, in harsh imagery that shows the suffering of the world, specifically the church at the hands of natural disaster, economic hardship, pestilence, war, persecution, and plague, just to name a few. God will also reveal to us in these visions that behind the curtain of earthly suffering, is the cosmic battle that is going on between the throne of God and the throne of Satan. Sinclair Ferguson says that the book of Revelation is the movie version of Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I would add to that, that as we look at these visions, oftentimes it is the horror movie version of that promise. But before John records the horrors of living in a world that is under the control of powers and principalities, the second vision, which runs through the first verse of chapter 4 through the first verse of chapter 8, opens with two episodes that show us another glorious truth. The two truths that God is sovereign and the Lamb is worthy. So today we will focus on the glorious truth that God is sovereign over all that happens in the rest of the book and in the rest of history. So first we see God enthroned above the heavens and the earth. This vision opens with the call that John hears to come through the open door in heaven so that he can be a witness to the things that must take place next. When he says after this or after these things, um, he is saying, this is what I saw next. This is the next thing that God revealed to me. And we will see that phrase after these things or after this, come up several times throughout the book. And most often it occurs at the beginning of one of the visions. But John is taken up to heaven in the spirit and and the call of the one with the voice like a trumpet who is identified for us in chapter one as the risen lamb, as the Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, in this vision combined with the second episode in chapter five, we will see the triune God working in history as the Father is enthroned The spirit is there around the throne and the son enacts God's plan in history. At Jesus' invitation, John is taken up to heaven and the first thing he sees, he says, is a throne. Now, throne is a word that shows up 46 times in the book of Revelation. It's an important word and and most of the time it points to God's thrones, but sometimes we see it pointing to Satan's throne as we did earlier In the letters to the churches that Satan pretending to the power and the sovereignty and the authority that God has. But most of the time, this refers to God's throne and the throne represents the one who sits upon it. And so John goes on to describe for us the indescribable. He describes the, the throne and the person sitting on it, not in human terms, but in the terms of, of glory and in radiance. He, John is taking this picture of the infinite glory and radiance that he was exposed to from the throne of God and he's trying to give it to us in human words. And human words fail when it comes to describing the infinity of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God. The power of God as it radiated from the throne, but he does his best. He tells us that it has the, the fine appearance of, of Jasper and Carnelian, and that that a, that a rainbow resembling an emerald encircles the throne. These, these precious metals as as light goes through these metals, or the, these jewels, these precious jewels give off the refracted rainbow of light you ever seen those prisms that you can buy? Sometimes they're in the shape of a triangle or a globe or, or other shapes that you can hang in your window and when the sun catches it just right, you get these little splashes of rainbow around your house. Imagine taking one of those and, and holding it directly up to the sun and having the brightness of that light just astound you and, and, and leave that after image of the rainbow upon your optic nerve. It's what John is trying to describe here as he looked at the throne. It's just that glory of the prism, the glory of the rainbow reflecting God's promises to protect his people in the midst of God's in the midst of his judgment. Way back from Genesis, that that glory of God's faithfulness, that glory of God's sovereignty, that glory of God's power overwhelms his sight. But it doesn't merely overwhelm his sight either. It overwhelms his ears. As he says, he also hears rumblings and peals of thunder that that word rumblings in other places in the in the New Testament is is translated voices. He's borrowing language and imagery from Exodus 19 as the the people have seen God's wonders in the plague and they have left Egypt. They have come through the Red Sea and they are at the base of Mount Sinai, and God's glory descends upon the mountain in flashes of fire, flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. John's senses are assaulted by the glory of God. It's, it's almost as if you had an infinitely bright, eternally long grand finale of a fireworks display going off to show the glory and the majesty of God there from His throne. Next, just out from there, we see not only God's glory, but we see the Holy Spirit around the throne, ministering around the throne between the elders and between God, showing His work to the church as the Spirit of God. And we will see the third person of the Trinity more fully in the next um, episode of this second vision, as we can as we consider chapter five next week, but this triune glory around the throne is manifest, and then then we have twenty four elders. Well, who are these twenty four elders? What do they represent? Some commentators will say that these are a, a, a level of angel that we have not been introduced to, but uh, that's a shortcoming in that in that angels are never. Uh, described as seated on thrones or or crowned with glory and honor. These represent, I believe, the, the church from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. As we get to the new heavens and the new earth and God's new Jerusalem descends from heaven, it's described as having 12 gates, and over each gate is written the name of one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, one of the sons of Jacob, But it's also founded upon a foundation of 12 stones. And on those 12 stones are written the names of the apostles, the representatives of the Old Testament church and the representatives of the New Testament church, all clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all given the authority and the honor that was promised to the church in those first seven letters, are seated around the throne or in their own throne exercising authority that comes from God. And and so these 24 elders represent the entirety of the church covered in Christ's righteousness. And then next we peel back just a little bit further and we have these really kind of odd looking angelic beings. They've got six wings borrowed from Isaiah. They have these four different faces. They have eyes all over them that are sparkling and in the reflection of the glory of God and Most likely, these represent the rest of created beings. So you have God, you have man, you have angels, and then the rest of the created order, fish and animals and birds and and bacteria and insects and all of those things. And so you almost see centered at the middle of creation. You don't almost see. You do see centered at the middle of creation. You have the throne of God. And then humanity that we learn in Psalm 8 is created a little bit lower than the angels, but clothed with glory and majesty. Then we have the angels and the rest of the created order. And in the middle of this is God in all of his glory. As I mentioned in the introduction. We are going to see God's work through his church and in protecting his church in the history of mankind, between the ascension and the return. And many times it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be scary. As we think about war, as we think about pestilence, as we think about earthquakes and natural disasters. And yet in the middle of all this, as the church moves forward, seeking to work out the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is sovereign in the middle of it. God is always upon his throne. God is always glorious and powerful and creative. And everything that happens, he has willed. It confronts us with the reality that number one, we are not God. We are not the one seated upon the throne at the center of creation. It is God himself. But it also confronts us with the reality that the God who has numbered every single head on your every single hair on your head and my head, the God who cares more about you than the sparrow, even though he knows every sparrow that falls from the sky. That God is sovereign over everything that happens to his church. And it brings comfort to us, it brings conviction to us as we as we set aside and repent of our own pride and rest in the one who set aside his pride to secure our salvation, to secure our righteousness so that we can one day be one of those elders upon the throne or one of the people represented by the elders on his throne. And so John opens up this vision with a reminder that God is seated sovereignly on his throne over everything that he has created. And in light of God's glory and sovereignty over all that he has created, how do these earthly and angelic creatures respond? Well, they respond as all of God's creation should respond, and that is with worship. Listen as I read from Psalm 19. Listen to these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And so we see as as we worked out from the center where God is seated upon his throne through humanity and through the rest of creation, we begin to come back to the center, beginning with worship. All of the created order joins in worship of its creator. All of the angels join in worship of its creator and and these angelic beings uh, echo the, the, the song of the angels, the seraphim in Isaiah chapter six, by opening up with holy, 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 affirming God's otherness, affirming God's power, affirming God's perfection and purity as he is completely and totally different from everything that he has created. He is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts that we sing about oftentimes. And then they reference Differently from the angels in Isaiah, they reference his infinity, his eternality. He is the God who was, he is the God who currently is. He is the God who is to come. Once again, moving back to Exodus 3 and Exodus 14, where God reveals himself as the great I am, as the one who is who he is, will be, will he, who he will be, and was who he was. He exists. He is. And that is a powerful statement to stop right there. He is. He exists. He has existence in himself. Without him, nothing does exist. And they worship him for his holiness, for his power, and for the fact that he is the eternal, immutable, unchangeable, glorious God. And then how do the people react? Well, they react with worship as well. You know, the call in Psalm 19 is the call to worship God as the creation does. What does Jesus say as he's entering Jerusalem for the triumphant entry? He says, as as the leaders say, please make these people be quiet so we don't get in trouble with the Romans. He says, if I shut them up, the rocks will cry out. And so as the created order worships God, the church is to join in that worship. And they sing a different song. They sing a song that says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. God has glory. How does he receive glory? He receives glory in the praises of his people. God is honor. How does he receive honor when we admit that any honor, honor that we have comes from him and we offer our praise and worship to him and and he is power? How do we give power to God? By being repentant and humble before him and realizing that any authority that I have, whether it's authority over my own life as a single person, whether it's authority over my family as a spouse, whether it's the authority in the workplace as a manager or whatever, any authority I have comes from God and I worship him for the authority that he has allowed me to partake of. It's not my authority. It's not my power. It's his. And then they go on to continue to praise him for his creative work. He says, they say, for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. They worship him because all things happen according to his power and according to his will. And this is reflected in the fact that they are seated upon a sea. The sea in the book of Revelation sometimes refers to the mass of humanity, but oftentimes refers to the powers of chaos in this world. You ever been to the ocean? It's always moving. It's always back and forth, sometimes worse than others, but it's always in a in a state of turmoil as it never finds rest. It's chaotic, it's dangerous, and yet in the throne room of God, it is still and clear. The powers of chaos in this world have no authority in the throne room of God. They have no effect in the throne room of God, your life may be turmoil right now. And for some of you, that turmoil means there are things that you need to do to take action against that turmoil. But you take that action in the the knowledge that the one who has called you to be his child, that turmoil cannot affect. That turmoil has no authority in the presence of God. And it is as peace in his presence, you, you know why Paul says in Philippians four that, you know, if we with Thanksgiving, we bring our prayer and request known to him and he will give us the peace that passes understanding It's because that peace is yours right now in Christ. And notice the worship here. We have we have pulled imagery from Ezekiel. We have pulled imagery from Isaiah. We have pulled imagery from Daniel into this vision here. And each one of those men, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, fell flat on their face in worship, but they fell flat on their face in conviction. Isaiah says, falls on his face and he says, I deserve to be annihilated for I am a sinful man and I minister to a sinful people. But the church in this vision bows in righteousness, bows in acceptance before God because they are covered in the white robes of Christ. They are covered in the righteousness of Christ. The, the, the righteousness that, that he carried through this earth as he gave up his right as in the throne room of God, set aside his glory for a time so that he could take on humanity and die a sinner's death even though he was righteous so that we could have His righteousness placed upon us and live forever in the presence of God, worshiping him not out of fear, but out of love and out of gratitude. And that's a picture we have here of uh, of the throne room of God. And for all the glory that we see here, which we should see here, for all the majesty, for all the power, for all the holiness and for all the Infinity that we see pictured here for us in the throne room of God, we oftentimes miss the comfort. Revelation is given to the church to basically say, "Be comforted in your tri- in your tribulation. Be comforted in your trial. Be comforted in your grief. Be comforted in your struggle with sickness. Be." Comforted in your struggle with mental illness, be comforted when the when the rivers rage and the ground shakes and the ocean sends horrific storms. And we are not only comforted in the fact that God is sacred on his throne, but the comfort comes in the call to worship. Why do we gather here in this place? Well, it's just something mom and dad have made me do, do since I was two, and I got nothing better to do on Sunday. No, you come into this place to worship. And in that worship, God offers you comfort in the midst of whatever you're going through. I can't explain it. Words fail me worse than they failed John. He at least had the inspiration of the spirit to push him on. But in some way, shape or form in this space, the lines blur. Between heaven and earth where we gather as those saints that go before us are gathered in the throne room of God, bowing down and casting their crowns at the feet of Christ, where they have felt the perfect eternal comfort that that comes through worshiping the God of this world. We come here into this place to worship and feel that comfort as well. We come out of the busyness. We come out of the struggle. We come out of the suffering of this life to meet here and worship God and to feel the comfort that comes from knowing that we stand safe and secure in His presence through the righteousness of Christ. So before John sees history unfold, he sees God sovereign upon the throne. And he sees redeemed humanity worshiping that God and finding peace and comfort in the midst of the turmoil. A pastor friend of mine said the other day that his church, excuse me, had had it pretty easy during the pandemic. But the first three months of 2022 have just about killed him. have worn the church out. Life's like that, is it not? There's Times of peace, there's times of tranquility, there's times where everything's going great. And then there's seasons where it just seems like the effects of sin in this world just beat us up. Take heart, brothers and sisters, regardless of the chaos in this world, God has quieted the chaos and he sits sovereign on his throne over all of it. And you're here, and so I know I'm talking to the choir, but this is part of what the author of Hebrews promises in Hebrews 10 when he says, do not forsake the gathering together, of the brothers and sisters so that you may be an encouragement and so that you may be encouraged. As we gather in this place, we 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 come in here to take our eyes off of uh, of yourself, moving your gaze onto the throne of God. And this worship that we go about here is joined to the eternal worship in the presence of God. When God calls you into this place out of chaos, find comfort Yes, the chaos may still be waiting for you when you leave here, and some of you may have drug it in here in your mind. But this place of worship is a place of comfort. It's a place of peace because the sovereign God sits upon his throne and he knows everything about you and what you're going through. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God who is sovereign. You are the God who is powerful. You are the God who has created and and we owe our existence to you. Everything that happens, happens according to your will. And Lord, you call us to worship you throughout throughout your word. We were created to worship you and we have been called repeatedly throughout your word to come back and worship you. And it is in worshiping the sovereign, triune creator God that we find comfort in the midst of turmoil. Lord, as we go about our life, as we seek to be the church, as we seek to live out your holiness, your holy call upon our lives, remind us that you are sovereign. And remind us that we worship you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One commentator said that the worship of heaven is loud, it is full, it is colorful, it is beautiful, and it is God-centered. Our lives are called to be God-centered worship every moment of our lives, but it is these times of special worship that we gather weekly to find the comfort from him in that worship. And so as you go this week, take the comfort of this blessing upon you. Grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.